Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning, church. It's nice to be gathered with you. Please grab your Bibles and turn them on or open them up to Exodus chapter 15 is where we'll be beginning here this morning. Exodus chapter 15. So we are in the process of journeying through this book of the Bible, the second book that comes in our scriptures, the book of Exodus. And Pastor Pat taught last week And he brought us in this story up to the point where the Israelites are freed and delivered from Egyptian slavery and bondage, and they get to the Red Sea. And as they're facing this sea with this vast, vastness in front of them where they're trapped, and behind them, the Egyptian army is attacking them, they can do only one thing, but wait. And we see in that miraculous event, as uh, Pat described, this huge bang in the book of Exodus, this climax, Yahweh comes through and he delivers the people and they're able to walk through the sea on dry land. And as the last Israelite steps out of the waters and as the armies are coming after them to destroy them, Yahweh closes in that sea on top of them and he delivers them from the enemies and defeats this vast, powerful army. And after that section, the Israelite people are standing at the shores of the sea as they've just seen their deliverance. And you get Exodus chapter 15. And in many of your modern translations in your Bible, it is actually set off into poetry. And those, those times in the Bible when you come across poetry as you're reading, it's the author cluing you in to saying these are really expertly well-crafted poems or songs that you really ought to slow down for and meditate. Sometimes, like I know it's my, my tendency when I'm reading through the Bible just to breeze through this and try to get back into the narrative, but this is the author saying slow down and meditate on this. So I'm going to just read a brief couple portions of this, and this is going to give us a, a setting to where Israel is, where their heart is at as they have just been delivered from this Red Sea moment. So starting in Exodus 15, verse 2, it says, Yahweh is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 3, Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Skip down to verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Yahweh, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. Yahweh reigns forever and ever. 
Those are some very big ideas about this God. Big ideas about Yahweh. As they've just seen His power on display, you see their heart. And in conclusion of this song, you see that Yahweh is the Redeemer, Warrior, King, who authors salvation for His people in order to guide them to His sanctuary where He desires to dwell with them forever and ever. And this is the storyline of your Bible as well. But here you see that on display in this chapter of Exodus. And this song speaks to these things about Yahweh, but on, on coming simultaneously, it also is saying that Israelites are acknowledging this is what we believe about our God. This is what we believe about Yahweh. This is what we believe about Him. And then come these next couple chapters. <laughs> if you look at some of your headings on these next couple chapters, you have the cleansing of waters at Mara and Elam, manna and quail, water from a rock. And you see in these chapters that that knowledge and belief that the Israelites supposedly have about Yahweh becomes tested. As they are in this desert and they are being squeezed in the vice of their physical and tangible needs not being met. And so just to give you a brief overview of where we're going to go this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a focus here on chapter 16. You have the end of chapter 15, you have 16, and you have chapter 17, and they all have these ideas about Yahweh providing food for them on their way to Mount Sinai, which will be coming in chapters uh, 18 and 19. And so as they're on their way, Yahweh provides for them food at many occasions. And each of these narratives can all, almost be saying the same exact thing. And so we're going to take a focus in chapter 16. Now, we're going to read most of this chapter, and I'm going to do my best to try to move swiftly through this narrative and just offer you some brief connection points and how this connects to the book of Exodus, the Torah as a whole, and even the whole of Scripture. Um, and so after we are in chapter 16... Um, then I'm going to take you to a gospel account. And of course, I always go to Gospel of John just because I, I love the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at John chapter 6 where we see this story actually on display in the life of Jesus. Okay, so that's a brief overview. Chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. We ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You see how long they've been since they left Egypt? Two and a half months. They've been since they left Egypt. So they've been in this wilderness journeying and they, they see that they are lacking, starting to lack food. They're starting to run out of this very important thing in our life, right? We need food to survive. And as they see their, their lives running out of food, what do they do? What's it say there in verse 2? They grumble. They grumble against Moses. Now, now, it's very important to realize, like, we try to think, okay, how could you do this? You just saw the Red Sea thing happen, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, in the previous narrative, they go three days without water, and it's like, okay, I, I can be very hard on the Israelites sometimes, but after I work a six-hour shift at my job and I come home, I get hangry, you know? And that's just like, you know, a couple of hours without food. Um, so I can, kind, I can kind of see, okay, this is a hard thing. 
This is a hard test to come to. And the people grumble. Now, this idea of grumbling is a very common theme. And what you see in chapters 15, 16, and 17, this word grumble appears ten times in this narrative. And so it's, it's a theme of how they are interacting with Moses and Aaron and how they see Yahweh as well. They, they grumble and they complain throughout this little narrative. Now, the next time this word appears is actually in Numbers chapters 14 through 17. And you say, what happens in between those two situations is that the people come from the Red Sea, they go to Sinai, grumbling the whole way, and then the narrative slows down. And it goes like for a year and a half, they're at Mount Sinai, they're in the very presence of Yahweh himself. There's, he's teaching them his law and giving him his code and this covenant with them. And then they set out. And that's where, num- that's where these next grumbling sets appear, 14 through 17. And what you see is that Israelites spends all this time at Mount Sinai, and then they don't change at all. They're still grumbling about food, water, and all those things as they leave Mount Sinai. And many of us know the story. It does not end well for Israel. But it's, you see that how they're grumbling? Did you see that at the end of this passage in verse 3? What, what, what brings them back as they grumble? The people remember what? Egypt. It's very, when they were in bondage and slavery, they remember Egypt. And Yahweh, it says that, Yahweh, you should have just killed us when we were in Egypt, in verse 3. But now you're driving us out here and trying to starve us to death. They, and you see that they're not, they're not really rejecting necessarily Yahweh's provision, but what they are rejecting is his, his salvation. He just redeemed this people. And when, when the physical, tangible needs aren't being met, they... they they abandon him, and they rebel against him, and they're rejecting his very salvation that he brought to these people. Let's continue verse 4. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Such mercy. I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, on the evening, in the evening, you will know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of Yahweh, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was Yahweh when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against Yahweh. So Yahweh provides through a test. Did you see that? I will rain down bread from heaven in verse 4, and this way I will test them. And I'm going to see if they will follow my instructions. So this bread comes with some instructions, some stipulations that these people have to follow. But Yahweh's provision and how he provides for these people is going to do what? What's the purpose? Did you see that? To remind them of him and his glory. Now this idea of a test that's taking place is very common throughout Genesis. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden are given a test, right? You eat of this tree and don't eat of this tree. Um, You see it even in Cain when he wants to kill Abel because of his jealousy. Yahweh says you have a choice before you. You can either embrace your sin and anger and kill your brother or you can just let it go and choose forgiveness instead. 
And we don't have time to go through all of Genesis, but you see this idea of Yahweh as He comes to meet people, He tests them. And what He's doing is He's trying to see, are you going to trust Me? Are you going to trust yourself? So let us read on and see how the people respond. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Now when the dew was gone, thin flakes, like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person and have it in your tent. So at twilight, Yahweh gives them this, this meat and sustenance through quail. And in the morning, as the dew recedes on the ground, these thin little flakes are left behind. And they take these flakes and they grind them up and they make it into bread. And that, like, if you're confused about that, so were they. <laughs> what, what is it? And actually in Hebrew, it is uh, ma, what, or man, what, and no, it. What, what, ma, no, what is this? You know, it's like, what is going on here? Let's continue, verse 17. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. You see how the manna is limited? Did you see that? It's limited to just a daily need. He wants these Israelite people to trust him daily. Just gather as much as you need. Don't go overboard. Don't gather too much. But only as much as you need. Don't worry. It'll be there tomorrow. Yahweh knows something deep down in humanity that sometimes we as humans don't even know ourselves. And like, I know this because it forces individuals to not hoard things. And we know how humans tend to hoard. Like we all lived through the toilet paper wars of the early quarantine period, right? This is what we as humans do. We hoard resources. When things begin to stretch us, when things begin to um, cause us to fear, what do we do? We care for ourselves only and try to get as much as we can and much as we think that we need. And sometimes we get too much and we hoard. And that's what Yahweh is trying to stop these people from thinking. Think outside yourselves. Just gather what you need and learn to trust me. And you see this in, in how Jesus even taught about how people to live within their means and within their needs and just trust Yahweh continually and daily. Trust Him to provide. But do the people trust Yahweh? We saw at the end of that section, they didn't. They didn't. They, they still gathered too much and Yahweh showed them that's not how this is going to work. That's not how this is going to roll as you're in the wilderness here. Let's continue, verse 21. So each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what Yahweh commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath 
rest. A holy Sabbath to Yahweh. So bake what you want. Bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then Yahweh said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, He gives you the bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested. On the seventh day. So you see here an interesting, this is the first occurrence of this word in your scriptures. It's Sabbath. Sabbath. And what it means is, is to cease. To cease. And what is this pointing back to, this idea of, of Sabbath? It's, a, it's something that's going to be fleshed out more later on as we get into the later chapters of Exodus. There's a whole covenant and law code around keeping this day. But if you look backward, you see all the way back in the first chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that when Yahweh creates the world and all of creation, he takes a day to rest. He takes a day to cease and to enjoy his creation. And what we see taking place here is like, it's a pointer back to Genesis. But that's not the only connection we see to Genesis, actually, when it comes to this bread. Let's continue reading. Verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread Mana. They called this bread, what is it? <laughs> and it was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. You see how that manna is described? It's white like coriander seed. Did you see the taste of it? Tasted like wafers made with honey. Reminds me of Frosted Flakes when I, when I read that. You know, it, it's, it's a delightful, like you, you just picture that. That's kind of a delightful sweetness. And that, that's a delightful snack to eat. So this, this mana is like this idea of a, a glorious, beautiful abundance. It's described white like coriander seed, wafers with honey. But there's another description of mana later in your Torah. Remember those chapters of, of Numbers that I pointed you to with the grumbling? Right before the Israelites set out from, from Mount Sinai, they describe this manna again. And they describe it as white or resin or they use the word bedellium. And this is found in Numbers 11 verse 7. And in the New American Standard and ESV, they use this word bedellium. And it's a very unique word in Hebrew. And it's connected to manna. It's a unique word. It's, a, it's only used two times in your Bible. It's used that one time there in Numbers to describe this bread, the manna. And then it's used the second time. Do you know where it's used? It's used in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, to describe the abundance of the land of Eden. It's gold, bedellium, onyx. And you see that what this bread is actually symbolizing is Eden. It's like Eden bread for them in the wilderness. As they're in this wilderness, they're to think of this Eden bread as the abundance that was once present in the garden. And Yahweh is already 
set Israel up in this little garden paradise in the previous narrative. At the end of chapter 15, he says he sets them up with these, this land of like 12 lakes or springs and 70 palm trees. It's a little paradise. And then they want this manna and he gives them this Eden bread. And they're resting on the seventh day. I mean, come on. These connections that you find all the way back to Eden, they're so prevalent. And this is how Yahweh loves and cares for his people. He's just trying to bring them back to that Eden relationship, that Eden abundance, that Eden rest. In the same way that Yahweh is instituting the Sabbath, which is an Eden idea in this wilderness. Let's finish off this brief narrative, verse 33. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before Yahweh to be kept for generations to come. And as Yahweh commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So as this narrative resolves, the author actually gives us some very interesting, interesting details that foreshadow what's to come as we end up closing the book on these wilderness wanderings and get to Sinai. And these are very interesting. What does he tell Aaron to do? Keep a jar of the what is it and put it where? With the what? The covenant tablets, it says. Put it with the covenant tablets in verse 33. What are those? We haven't come to those yet. <laughs> the author knows that. That'll be in the next coming, coming weeks, the coming chapters, as we see Yahweh set up his covenant, and they keep a, these, these tablets in the ark, and they're supposed to keep the manna there to remember that as well. And so there's that little detail, but you also see how long did the Israelites eat the manna in verse 35. They ate the what is it for what? Forty years. And if you look at a map of this region, it shouldn't, like even with all these people, it should take like maybe a year max to cover this distance. But it says that they eat this stuff. The what is it for 40 years? And as a reader of this, you say, what happens? <laughs> like, why? Why is this happening? The original audience would have said, man, that's, that's very strange. And if you know the story, it does not go well after they leave Sinai and are about to set foot into the land. And so that's what the journey is going to ha- happen. And this narrative really is just the beginning of the disobedience of, of Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, the people, they just don't trust Yahweh. That's what this is all designed to show. Do you trust me? And the people, they don't. They don't trust him. Continually they, they disobey. Continually they, they try to define what's good, what's the right thing to do in their own terms and not listen to Yahweh's terms. They acknowledge his power and might as we saw in chapter 15, but when the difficulties come, they abandon that truth. And remember, their grumbling is focused on rejecting his salvation. They want to go back to Egypt. They'd rather go back to Egypt and die and live in slavery and bondage instead of trust Yahweh, which is actually a really, really profound thing in how we as humans react to God, how we react to Yahweh. But this is just a shadow of what what is to come in the narrative. And as I told you before, it does not end well for Israel. And I think a a perfect occurrence of this, if you want to flip in your Bibles ahead to John chapter 6, I'll turn there as well. John chapter 6 We see this idea of not trusting Yahweh emphasized here. And it shows the heart of where these these Israelites, these people are at. They don't change in all this time. 
Generations later, as Jesus steps onto the scene, the Israelites' heart is still just as hard as ever. Just like the king that they just left in Egypt, whose heart is extremely hardened towards Yahweh. You see, the Israelites are no better. And we come to this narrative here in John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 5. Jesus, he looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Did you see that? Where are we going to find bread? Wink, wink. And I'm going to test who? Philip, one of my followers. See, the idea of bread and testing that we just saw taking place there in Exodus. And then if you read on in the story, it's the feeding of the 5,000, this miraculous miracle. Jesus goes away after this miracle and he withdraws to a mountain. And that night he walks across the sea, miraculous and... Just catches his disciples in a boat, you know, who are just fearing for their lives. And he says, hey, it's okay. I'm here, you know. (laughs) And he ends up all the way on the other side of the sea. And the crowd follows him. And they follow Jesus. Skip down to verse 26. Jesus talking, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Verse 29, Jesus answers, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And Jesus goes on to explain how in him is full life and full assurance But how do the people respond? Look at verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble. Just like what we saw in Exodus. They grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Verse 43. Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews are confused, and they they think he's talking about cannibalism, and they reject him. You see in the following verses, many of his followers disperse after this moment. Because Yahweh once again is providing true sustenance and true life for his people in a wilderness place. And once again, they reject that bread. They don't trust Yahweh still. So in the same way these Israelites react to Yahweh, they do not trust Jesus. They're more than happy to have their material needs met. You see that? They're more than happy to eat his bread and to to have their sustenance fulfilled in that way. 
but they only want their material needs met. They don't want to fully internalize this relationship with Yahweh. They don't want to fully give themselves to trust Yahweh and truly give Him their life. This shows us a very important task, a very important thing about us as humans. When the, the vice of this life squeezes us to the breaking point, how do we view God? How do we view Yahweh? Do we just want Him for His stuff, for the things He can give us? Do we just want the happy life, the good kids, the money? Do we just want Him to to give us these things so that we can just be comfortable? Or do we just want Yahweh? Is Jesus enough for us during these difficult times in our life? These events are real. And they show us why do we truly follow Jesus? Do you trust Yahweh? Or do you just want his blessings without any form of a relationship? Praise be to God that we are on this side of the cross. Praise be to God that we see Jesus as the true bread that is enough for us. Amen? He is that bread. He is that life-sustaining and life-supplying force for us. And if we internalize Him and internalize His message because of His sacrifice that He died on the cross for, because when Israelites refused to trust Him, Jesus trusted Yahweh fully. And He trusted Him to the point where it meant His life. And Yahweh said, don't worry, I have you. And He rose Him from the dead. That is what we believe. And that is what these two narratives are telling us. These narratives in Exodus is to trust Yahweh. That's the shadow, and the substance of that trust is found in Jesus. He is that true bread of life. Let me close us in a word of prayer as the worship team comes forward. Father, we thank you for this good word of yours. We thank you that even though all these years ago, back in the wilderness, that these lessons that the Israelites should have learned that we can take and glean much from them. That when we see your story, we see it fulfilled in your son. May we trust him to be our daily need. Let me trust him to meet these needs and to be our daily bread. May we trust him and see Jesus as enough. May we see Jesus as our salvation. May we see Jesus as our Redeemer, Lord. We pray all these things in His precious name. Amen.